Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hey everyone, welcome to GradCast. You already heard the intro part, so we don't have to say that part, but hi. Uh, I'm Tristan Johnson, back from two weeks abroad. And Alan, Yemen, you're back. Did you just call me Alan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am I'm so offended. Uh, so No offense, Alan. Whoever you are, you know who you are, Alan. Um, Alan. So, Yemen, you just got back from Quebec. We're, uh, we were just saying, and I just got back from, well, I guess I've been home for a week now from the Dominican, so that's been an adjustment phase. But oh, that's yeah. uh, our travel plans are not the star tonight. The star oh. tonight is our guest, Charlotte Britton, who comes to us from media studies. Yeah. Is that the general the general field? That is, yes. <laughs> and we're going to talk about news and youngins and uh, whether or not oh, reading things internet. in order is actually all that important. Yeah, we are. Um, so basically, we're going to be talking about my master's thesis. Um, I am defending two weeks from today. Um, so it has all been uh, written out and submitted, but I have not yet defended it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but basically, my uh, project, which is in media so Studies, um, looked at how people read through uh, news articles which are hyperlinked to each other. So I made a walled garden, a collection of articles where you could only go from those articles to other articles that I'd already picked. Um, and uh, basically let people uh, navigate through them. Uh, the articles were all about the Canadian oil sands. Um, and I asked people what their opinion was about the uh, continued use of the oil sands and the possibility of building new pipelines um, to support the, the oil industry in Canada before they started um, reading through the articles just to see what they, they knew. Um, and then, okay, yes. shout it, shout it. Just, just a second here. Um, so to get a, a, like a sort of concrete picture of this, when you say walled garden, um, you're talking about you created sort of like an online digital space that was sort of like the internet, but not actually out out in the internet itself. Yes, yeah? pretty much exactly. Um, we, I wanted to be able to see how people moved through uh, news articles, but actually just setting people loose on the internet um, meant made for some difficulties in terms of actually analyzing data and seeing what people would get because they could have just gone anywhere and there's no guarantee that they would have stayed on sort of the topic that I was interested in. Um, so yeah, I basically made a little pretend internet that only contained 12 articles that had been mined from various news sources like CBC and CNN and the Toronto Star and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So sort of like a little playpen. A little bit, yeah. Corralled area. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what you said you got youngish people? Yeah, so basically 18 to 24, um, because that was according to the Pew research that I was using for like context about what people's uh, news consumption patterns were generally like. That was the group of people that they said mostly got their news online. So that was the group of people that I looked at. Yeah. So, so uh, you can stop me when I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I imagine stop. that Pew's data was basically saying like, uh, like it was kind of like a kids these days type research well, <laughs> to a certain extent I mean it was basically like here are a bunch of different age groups and this is the predominant um, source of media so 
yeah, traditionally younger would be more digital media and the older age groups that they looked at would be more uh, television or uh, newspaper. But television was actually pretty popular in terms of a news source for all of the age groups. I just want to say, like, that was pretty judgmental there, Tristan. I mean, you're not much more than 24 yourself. I, I no. I, I, I what I was guessing was that like Pew said, kids these days, and you're like, yeah, kids these days, they're awesome. Like I, I that was oh, my guess. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was just right. mental with Pew rather than yeah. mental with the kids these days. Well, but uh, I could be wrong on that back and <laughs> yeah, forth. Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so I basically sort of set them free in my little playpen of uh, online news articles and asked them to sort of tell me what they were thinking as they read through the articles, and then at the end, um, what their opinion was. And uh, yeah, I got to see, there was some, some neat stuff. It was very much an exploratory study. I only had 11 participants, so difficult to make any actual claims of what might be happening um, in uh, sort of a larger scale. Um, but there was some, some neat stuff that kind of popped up. Uh, don't don't worry. A newspaper will pick up the story and they'll make the definite yeah. claim for you. <laughs> um, so, what did you find? Um, so, probably I would say the most interesting thing that I found um, that again, you know, doesn't isn't necessarily um, going to be borne out in all cases. But I would like to do more research at some point um, to sort of uh, see if it's the case in general. Was that? Uh, when people came into the article or into reading these articles and they already had an opinion, it stayed the same. Um, and so there was no change, which was kind of what I expected. It was only an hour long session. It's not super surprising that people didn't change their minds in an hour of reading articles. Um, but what was interesting was that when people came in and they didn't have an opinion, um, I started them either on an article that was against the oil sands or an article that was um, for the oil, the continued use of the oil sands, just to get a sense of what was happening and a balance there. The people who didn't have an opinion and started with an article against the oil sands, that is talking about the environmental impacts and saying that we shouldn't continue to use them, ended their, uh, ended the condition, basically ended the study saying, and they were against the oil sands. If they started with an article that was against the oil sands, if they didn't have an opinion and they started with an article that was for the oil sands, at the end of the study, they said they couldn't form an opinion because they didn't have enough information and the information didn't seem good. Which was interesting because everybody else was able to form an opinion. Hmm. So, yeah. Some is, it, is it because it like, I mean, like, there's a million ways you could look yeah. at that. Because I was like, I would take maybe it speaks more to like what kind of issues that younger people uh, speak to because... You know, we don't have an economy that works for us anyway, and yeah. so what does it matter? Yeah, but so I think there were probably quite a few things that were going to that. One of that is that I think in general, people are, young people tend to be more pro-environmental, particularly young people in a university setting, right. um, because there are, I also, um, I chose this topic before the price of oil dropped, and then I couldn't change it after because I'd already set up all of my testing. So. There wasn't as strong an economic argument for continued use of the oil sands when I actually did testing as there was when I set up the <laughs> design, which was a potential um, problem. But yeah, so it, it can be difficult to sort of um, just be like, yeah, we should continue when you can see the environmental um, devastation and there isn't as strong an economic argument to continue. There's a lot of economic economically solid plants that could be made using green and renewable energy. So a lot of people sort of talked about that. Um, so I think that might be one of the reasons that it was just a lot more difficult to end up 
thinking, oh yeah, for sure, this we should continue to um, use the the oil sands. So people were probably already leaning that way in the first place, which means reading that article first sort of confirmed what they were already thinking, and then they were able to move through the rest of the articles and sort of with that foundation of knowledge of like, oh yeah, we probably shouldn't do it. The environment is getting you know totally screwed over by this. Whereas. Um, and so I think that what seemed to be the case, and also in terms of how people were talking about the articles um, when they went through, was that uh, it seemed like the first article was quite important in terms of um, actually affecting their opinion, probably just because when you're actually making decisions to, about how to navigate through, like what articles should I be reading, what information do I still need, you're making those decisions, but you need to be basing those decisions on something, right? Like you need some sort of prior knowledge, some sort of information to base those decisions on. And so I think if you already sort of agreed with the first article that you read, it's really easy to use that first article as like prior knowledge to make all those decisions. And so that article, you think about it more and it becomes more persuasive. Whereas if the first article you read, you don't agree with, you probably won't use it to form a basis of information to make decisions from which you can make decisions. And so you just get confused and then it becomes more difficult to judge the information to be like, oh, this is good, this is bad, which is what the participants said. So, so does that speak a little bit to like uh, the, the kind of confirmation bias of the internet that we, we tend to like gravitate towards things that we already are predisposed to agree with? And Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, I think it... Because it, it shows that not only might there be sort of the, the confirmation bias of you are, are reading, what you're, um, reading what you already agree with and you're thinking more about what you already agree with, but it means that you can become more confused, I think, if you don't understand or don't agree with something. And so you, you have more trouble actually putting those arguments together and understanding them, and so they won't be persuasive. Okay, so you were also getting your participants to talk, sort of think aloud as they were reading. Yeah. Was this sort of borne out in some of the comments they were making as they were reading through the articles? Yeah. yeah. Um, you had to read the comments? <laughs> I did. Um, so they had to sort of go through, uh, like they commented on the articles as they were going through and I, and I uh, talked about that. So yeah, I mean, a lot of them would go back to um, the ones who didn't have an opinion and uh, were sort of forming an opinion and, and ended up being against the oil sands, they tended to go back to sort of key themes that came up in the first article, mm -hmm. um, which was primarily environmental impacts, um, whereas the ones who um, didn't form an opinion did have a lot of comments about like, rather than when they were going through, rather than being like, here's a question, and then answering that question for themselves, being like, oh, I don't agree with that, maybe this, or that seems weird, what about this? They were just like, oh, that's weird. Or like, oh, I, I have questions about this. And then they would just stop, instead of actually continuing to sort of explain it to themselves, which, okay. is, which a lot of other participants did, which I found very interesting. You're like, wait, what are the questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, obviously, when you, you were talking about linearity, mm -hmm. and so I imagine that the order that they went through was also somehow um, important to the study. So what did you find about the order in which they went through articles? Or how did you order them? Well, I didn't order them. Um, basically, they could choose what um, links they followed, and thus the order was different for every single participant. In terms of the order, besides the fact that the first one seemed to be important, there didn't seem to be any 
major um, effect of how they went through. There were certain linking, um, like ways to link articles that made people more likely to click on them than others. So if you just put hmm. like, uh, you know, if you just underline like the word environment and that links to another article, people aren't as likely to click on it as if you have a persuasive article and then in the middle of the article you have something called like a different view and then a link to an article that is on the same topic but has a different perspective. So if you, um, when you're creating, a, you know, a hyperlink to provide people with more information, if you sort of explain what it is within the hyperlink or like make it clear that, you know, you should be reading this because it's a different perspective and read both of them and that's a good idea, people are a lot more likely to click on it than if it's just, you know, here's some background mm -hmm. information, this word is highlighted. So would you kind of make the argument then that maybe doing things like this it could be part of good journalistic practice? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, in terms of what I did, that very much um, pulled away from what is traditionally done in, journalis um, in journalism, primarily because I had articles from various different sources. In terms of what actually happens when you have online news, um, it is very, very unlikely that, say, you know, CNN will link to a competitor. Um, mm -hmm. So they link to themselves. Um, it, most of the time when it comes to actual um, online journalism. So I do think that in terms of like a good use, good usage of hyperlinks and linking and things like that can be very good for online journalism. But I also think that one of the things, particularly in terms of just the way that people got confused and ha having to navigate through, I think it also just speaks to the fact that you do have to have like really good journalism and well-paid and supported journalism that produces good articles that clearly explain things because people, when they had to navigate through things, they got confused sometimes, particularly if they, you know, started in a place that they didn't seem to agree with. Um, and yeah, you need to give people that sort of background information. So just being like, oh, there's a lot of stuff on the internet isn't a replacement for really good journalism because that's putting a lot of pressure on people to do all of that work themselves. Um, and I don't think we can necessarily just demand that of people all of the time. You know, people, there are a lot of reasons why, you know, people might not necessarily have the time or the energy to go and like read a million articles on a, you know, topical news story and figure out all of the different perspectives, particularly when something's really complicated, like the oil sands or something more recent like Brexit. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like some of these um, sort of techniques that make links more attractive could very easily be manipulated. Say, if um, you know, a news organization has one particular bias or a perspective that they're really supporting, say, if they're very much pro, and they have a link somewhere in the middle that says, you know, this is the other side, the argument against, and it just links to a really shoddy article that's just completely, you know, collapses under its own argument, that could very well, you know, perhaps influence people into thinking that, you know, the uh, opposing side is apparently full of idiots. Well, yeah, I mean, you can definitely do that and make it appear as if you're presenting all of the information, you're presenting both sides of the argument, but not actually do it. And you can also do that even in the structure. I actually, I had one oh, participant yeah. who was very, very sort of on the ball in terms of noticing differences in structure and critiquing the the arguments and sh uh, she pointed out that 
Um, I had a, a linking structure that I'd just taken from CNN that had two links, like a different view for the oil sands against the oil sands. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, you know, when it was the article that was against the oil sands and there was the link to go for the oil sands, she was like, that was after the first paragraph. And when you're reading the article that was for the oil sands, so pro, um, pro oil, it, she was like, the, the link back to the other article was at the end. She was like, so if you didn't read the whole thing, you wouldn't even, and I, like, I hadn't even noticed that. <laughs> Ooh. And, but she did. These, you know, subtle things that you don't think about, but <laughs> nevertheless. Yeah, so I mean, even that, right? Like you, if you start on the article that's against the oil sands, you would immediately be pushed to go to um, the one that was for, but hmm. if you start on the article four, you would have to read through like almost the entire article before you got the link to the different view. Yeah, OBT dubs, it's destroying the environment. You should take a look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, this comes out at a really interesting time, too, because um, from what I recall, just maybe like one or two weeks ago, uh, there was this meeting where a bunch of the media heads in Canada met up with uh, representatives from the federal government, basically debating about whether or not Canadian news needs a bailout because because uh, some big things happened like uh, there were some really big closures and uh, like BuzzFeed just recently pulled its parliamentary coverage, like all these like um, Things are showing that it's really hard to do news in Canada, which means that we have to rely more and more on less and less. Well, yeah, and I mean, what happens is that people end up relying on things like citizen journalism and just pieces of information, things that are, you know, information from Twitter, information from Facebook, eyewitness reports, which are very important, and I very much support um, people's ability to produce that stuff, and the fact that we have access to that kind of information is great. But you do also, I think, need, particularly when it comes to like learning about a topic for the first time, you need some longer sort of um, pieces that are, you know, um, explain everything and, and give, you know, give sort of a summary of what's happened. Because it is, I mean, if you go into reading about um, a particular news topic and there's just a couple of articles that just assume that you have background information you know it's very easy just to get discouraged and just be like no nah, I just won't I won't do this at all and step back and then you don't have people actually reading the news at all I mean even there are a lot of problems with you know sort of traditional journalism and, and concerns about you know who's making the news who's making the decisions of what is news that sort of thing but at the same time, I still think that, you know, you do need to have, like, some real supported news that is created and has, you know, has money behind it and has, like, journalists who are trained and are, you know, paid to actually spend time doing journalism and, and reporting and, and taking time to do that kind of stuff because when everything comes out very, very quickly, it tends to be short, it tends to not have too, too much information, um, it'll just be a little part of the story and it becomes very difficult for people to read through. Mm -hmm. What do you think of like uh, the rise of, what I think they call it like explainer journalism, like uh, the, the big one is like Vox.com has become a big deal. Uh, have you like... What does that mean? Vox. Expl no, no, I'm, I know. Explainer journalism is basically trying to fill the gap that you were just speaking about. Like, uh, it's journalists talking about the news, but instead of doing like the hot take, they try to be like, how did we get to here? And they do kind of the bigger story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good. I think it often, at the moment, it can still be 
sort of niche like you have to take quite a lot of time um, to do it so I think you get sort of a split between these sort of short instantaneous almost Twitter-esque um, news articles and then these really long like a lot of those articles are quite long and you do have to like invest quite a bit of time into uh, reading them so I think there's something sort of missing in sort of medium-sized <laughs> information that here's some of the background, but also, you know, you don't have to devote maybe half an hour to reading this article, which, you know, could be also sort of a problem in terms of getting people to really engage with that sort of information. The 1,000 movement. Bring back the 1,000-word article. Yeah. You know, this, this all sort of reminds me of um, something... Uh, E.O. Wilson, uh, one of the greatest living biologists, <laughs> said, I think fairly recently, um, he said that we live now, well, people these days, we are drowning in information, but we are starved of wisdom. Mm. So beyond being absolutely profound, I think. Um, you know, it sort of speaks to this, that on the internet with all these you know, databases, Wikipedia sites and stuff, you can find information anywhere. But it takes, you know, a certain level of critical thinking, a certain level of wisdom to be able to interpret it, to, you know, analyze it, to really figure out what it all means, mm -hmm. right? And maybe, I don't know, is that missing from the audience? Is that missing from the producers of this information content? Or, or kind of a back and forth. Or, yeah, you know? I, I mean... <laughs> Because the thing is, when people are good at going through the information and putting it all together, like I did, I mentioned I had some participants who were very, very good at it. Right. I think they did probably actually get a more critical and informed, you know, understanding of the information that you would just get from reading one article that organized everything because you have to, you have to really understand the information in order to like figure out how it all fits together and make inferences and stuff like that, which is, that's good, right? Like that's, but you can't just assume that everyone can do that and I think the assumption that everyone is capable of doing that is actually really bad because it kind of splits people into two. It's either you're going to be really good at this and you're going to learn really well or this is going to be too hard for you and you're just not going to know anything about it at all. And then, you know, and then both people have to vote and yeah. most people, like that is a very, um, you know, it's a very problematic way of, dividing things because then you have a few people who already have that information and who are good at sort of figuring that out, making decisions and doing things like that. And the rest of the people, you know, it's a lot more difficult to, to figure that information out if all of that effort is put on them. All right. Uh, so one last question before we go. Yeah. Uh, so if somebody wanted to, was like, you know, blown away by hearing about this and wanted to follow you up on your future research, do you know where like they could get in contact or, or at least like, you know, follow whatever it is you're up to? Um, well, I'm not doing a PhD right away. <laughs> Okay, uh, that's what she says. <laughs> no, they always no. do. They always do. Well, that's why she had the qualifier, not right away. It's yeah, right, right away. I'm not. I'm I not caught going that. Right away. Um, so I don't know when I will be, you know, or if I will be coming back um, to this. But at the moment, my thesis uh, should be on the Western Thesis Depository in a couple of weeks, as soon as it's been defended. Um, and yeah, my name is Charlotte Britton, or you could also uh, email me at my UWO email which is uh, cbritten at uwo.ca. That's uh, B-R-I-T-T-E-N. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte, for coming on. It's been really great. It's been a, it's been a good Charlotte. <laughs>
That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.